the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. So we get ourselves in this quandary of terms. Well, the Bible talks about things that are good and things that are evil. The Bible talks about things that are right and things that are wrong. But see, now we live in a society where those clear lines are not as clear anymore. And there's warnings about it in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it talks about, Woe to those who call evil good and those who call good evil. So the Bible is clear about some things that are right and some things that are wrong. It seems like more and more, truth is flexible. No longer does it have a fixed basis, but is defined by each individual. It's become my truth and your truth, and they don't have to be the same thing. But does this fluid definition line up with what God says? Today, Pastor Gary shares that the Bible is clear about some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And it cautions you about losing your hold on that foundation. You'll see that God's way, His truth, is the one you want to cling to. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So you can always find someone better than you, and you can always find someone worse than you. That should never be the standard. Other people are never the standard for our lives. It's always on the basis of who Christ is. And because Christ is perfect, we never measure up. Therefore, we're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin nature. We do wicked, evil things. That's sin. We violate the commandments of God willfully and sometimes unwillfully. But we are lawbreakers. We are sinners. We are rebellious against God. And nobody had to teach you to be a sinner. It comes very, very naturally. Can you remember one of the first things you ever did that you realized this is probably wrong and you had a conscience about it? I remember my sister and I were probably, I don't know, I'm going to say, I have one sibling, a sister. She's 14 months older than I am. She was probably like eight and I was seven. And there was a, a girl who lived next to us who was a teenager and she always was like the mother hen of the neighborhood. And she would always gather the kids together and and coordinate games and do little charming things with the neighborhood kids. And my sister and I refused to be a part of it. We were just anti-union. And we were just like, we're not joining the neighborhood union and we're not going to do the little kids games. And we're like, we're not going to do what Elaine wants us to do. And so we decided we weren't going to do what the neighborhood kids did when Elaine got us all together and had these little neighborhood little game things. Well, we remember one Easter that Elaine would uh, dye Easter eggs 
with the neighborhood kids. And then she'd hide them in her backyard. And then she'd call all the neighborhood kids to come and find all the Easter eggs. And my sister and I were sitting in our home and we're looking out our window because she was our next door neighbor. We're like, oh, look at Elaine. She's hiding all these eggs. And doesn't she think she's special? They're going to have a little Easter egg hunt. You know, we were just seven and eight years old. We were just conniving and, you know, scheming and backbiting and gossiping right there in our house. Nobody had to teach us, you know, why don't you go ahead and make fun of Elaine? It came naturally. And so what happened was my sister turned to me. She said, you know what? So we watched Elaine hide all the Easter eggs and all the kids were in her front yard. And then she went to the front yard where she then was going to give instructions to all the kids and give them little pails. And so when Elaine went from the backyard after hiding the Easter eggs to her front yard, my sister turned to me. She said, why don't you go and steal all the Easter eggs? And so I did. And so I went, I scurried out, and we grabbed a little bucket from our house, and Elaine's giving all the instructions in the front yard. And my sister's like, you know, she's staking out the whole place, and so she's watching. She's like got the getaway car, although it wasn't like a getaway car. It was just like come back over to our yard. And But she was going to alert me when Elaine was coming, and so I'm scurrying around. I saw where Elaine hid all the eggs, so I know exactly where they are. I scurried them all up. And then I brought him back into our house. And my sister and I are in our house now, watching out the window. It was delicious. And all these little kids from the front yard go to the backyard and they're scurrying around. And there's Elaine like, oh, this is going to be so special. And she's watching. And none of the kids can find any eggs. And Elaine's like, we could see her like going from a smile to confusion. And then she starts looking at where she had hidden eggs. And she's looking everywhere. No eggs. My sister and I, we're just belly aching, laughing. Just, oh, this is hilarious. And we laughed so hard that our mom came down. She's like, what, what are you guys laughing at? And I'm standing there with a pail of eggs. And she said, where did you get those eggs? And so Sherry said, well, we got them from Elaine's house. And my mom looked out the window and she could see like an Easter egg hunt thing going on and kids, you know, you know, like, and so mom said, and I'm holding the pail. And she said, you stole those eggs. And I said, Sherry made me do it, which was true. But listen, you know, nobody's told me how to steal. I just stole naturally. No one told me how to lie. I just lied naturally. Why? Because I have a sin nature. My mom made us boil another couple dozen eggs and take them all like she made us add to the pot and go back and say sorry we took all your eggs and we have two more dozen to give you this is the most humiliating miserable thing in my life but you know the point is look nobody had to teach you stuff you know the point is that we have a sin nature and even as kids nobody has to teach you so we have a sin problem because our sin separates us from God and this is why Jesus died he gave himself For our sins. No one took his life from him. He laid his life down for the sins of the world. We live in an evil age. He says he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. It's not very politically correct to say that these days, is it? I remember shortly after 9-11, President George W. Bush got up in January of 2002 to give the State of the Union Address Do you remember the phrase that he coined? The axis of evil. He talked about nations that promote terrorism. And you can debate whether or not the intel was correct and, you know, should we have gone after Saddam Hussein? You know, I'm not bringing up this point for any of that. I'm simply saying that he brought up this phrase, the axis of evil. Because despite whatever the intel was, right or wrong, terrorism 
I mean, it's an act of evil. And he coins this phrase, the axis of evil, and talking about these nations that sponsor terrorism. And I can remember the response by some of the media, like, whoo, he just he used the word evil. And it was almost like, we don't say that word, because we don't want to draw lines of delineation between good and evil. And have you noticed, even in our culture today, that line has become more and more blurred. Nobody wants to say good and bad anymore. Nobody wants to say right or wrong. Nobody wants to say uh, truth or lies. It just is all this blurred kind of amalgam that people can decide to make it whatever they want to make it. And your truth is not necessarily my truth, is how the argument goes. And so what you might say is good is okay for you, may not be good for me. And what you call bad is may not necessarily be bad to me. And so we get ourselves in this quandary of terms. Well, the Bible talks about things that are good and things that are evil. The Bible talks about things that are right and things that are wrong. But see, now we live in a society where those clear lines are not as clear anymore. And there's warnings about it in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it talks about, woe to those who call evil good and those who call good evil. So the Bible is clear about some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And you have to ask yourself, we live in a present evil age, is what the Bible tells us, but who defines what is evil? Yeah, that's right. Do you get to define what is evil or what is right? Do I get to define what is evil or what is right? No, God does. So here's what happens. When you start to live your life and your perspective of right and wrong in the world is based on the perspective that God has of what is right and what is wrong in the world, I guarantee you people are going to call you haters, bigots, you're not tolerant, because you're operating from a specified standard of things that are right and wrong. And today, because that line has been so blurred, when you try to live your life in such a way by calling certain things right and certain things wrong you will have people who will unfortunately now disagree with you and they will tell you that their own system of what is right and wrong is different from yours. And unfortunately, you know, today we have some things that have been made legal in our country that legitimizes those things by virtue of the fact that they've been legalized. But yet God might say otherwise. And so now what do you do? Is government supposed to be the one that sets the standard, or does God set the standard? Do you set the standard? Do I set the standard? Or does God set the standard? And so when you start to recognize what is right and wrong and good and evil from the perspective of God's Word, you're going to get some pushback, because we're living in a day when those lines have become very, very blurred. So don't compromise with what your standard is, but just be aware that there will be people who will find your speech offensive. They will find your speech intolerant. Now, there's a way that we can say the truth. There's a right way to say the truth, and there's a wrong way to say the truth. We can season it with grace, or we can be abrasive and unkind and unloving. And we're never to be unkind, abrasive, and unloving. But sometimes, even when you say the truth as lovingly and as tenderly as you possibly can, it will be offensive to people just by virtue of the fact that it is truth. And they will push back and they will disagree because people often now live by a different standard. Paul says we live in an evil age. There's evil around us. 
This world is under the present influence of the evil one. In 1 John 5, 19, John says the whole world is under the control of the evil one, meaning Satan. Now, the original Greek of 1 John 5, 19 says it a little differently, and New King James picks up a little bit better, because instead of giving Satan control, New King James says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's a better way to understand it. God is sovereign, and God is still on the throne, but he has allowed the enemy some limited oversight and access to this domain that we call the earth. And so it is under the sway of the wicked one. Why is there so much evil in the world? It's under the sway of the wicked one. Why is there so much inhumanity towards man from one person to another? Because it's under the sway of the evil one. Why is there terrorism? Why is there ISIS? Why is there all this kind of tragedy and injustice and crime? It's under the sway of the evil one. And so... Paul is reminding us of this, that Jesus came to save us from our sin and to rescue us from this evil age. And that's the other point here, the idea of being rescued. Because we have a sin problem, because we live in an evil age, we need to be rescued from this evil age and from our sins. Colossians 1.13, Paul wrote, God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need to be rescued. I have a sin problem, you have a sin problem, we live in an evil age, and we need to be rescued. And so the first rescue that we need is to be rescued from our sins. Eventually, we will be rescued from this world. But in the meantime, we have to live out our faith in this world giving honor and glory to God, and looking for His imminent return. So there will be an ultimate rescue from this world, from this life. But in the meantime, we need to be living faithful lives so that He will find us faithful when He returns. But the rescuing of our sin problem happens because of the cross. happens because of what Christ has done for us. That's why Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God, He writes there in verse 4. And Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. There's that word again, grace. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Now, Those are four words in the English, but throwing you into confusion is one word in the Greek. It's terasso. And terasso means the tossing of the waves of the sea. So that's good imagery because it's this condition here where he's saying spiritually, you guys are being tossed around like like the waves of the sea in your theology. And you're unstable here in your doctrine because evidently there's some people who are doing this to you. They're throwing you into confusion. They're presenting a different gospel. And again, the different gospel they're presenting is Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the feast, Jesus plus kosher foods, and all of this. I've developed a relationship with a Jewish rabbi who ministers in Washington, D.C. Not a believer, contacted me out of the blue and said, can, can I have some dialogue with you? We've been meeting periodically for the last few months and getting to know him. And, and when we have lunch together, and sometimes he'll come here and sometimes I'll go to D.C. to his synagogue. He's Orthodox, 
doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And when he comes here and I order food for him, he asks for it to be kosher. And I said to him, why do you eat kosher food? You know what he said to me? I don't know. I don't know. I said, why do you think you do? He says, I think I'm just trying to honor my father and my father before him. So it's interesting that sometimes people do things that they don't even know why they do because of religious tradition. And so in the case here of the Judaizers, they're holding on to certain religious traditions. And the religious traditions that marked them as Jewish, circumcision, the feast, the Sabbath, kosher food, you see, they're still holding on to those traditions and adding them to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with traditions. If you want to you know, practice certain traditions for the fun of it or because it sparks wonderful memories that are sentimental, just don't do it as a, as a part of your faith in terms of it adding to your salvation because nothing can improve upon the cross. And so he says, some people are throwing it in confusion. They're trying to pervert, there it is in verse 7, the gospel of Christ. He says in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Some of your translations say, let him be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. It literally means, let him be damned. If somebody preaches a different gospel to you than the truth of, of who Jesus is, let that person be damned. I said it twice because I don't really get to say it much in my life, so I just kind of wanted to have a chance to say it. It's in, it's in the Bible, so I just get an opportunity to say it. It's kind of like preacher cussing there for a moment, but, you know, it's, it's right here in the Bible. And verse 9, he repeats it again, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. I'll refrain. I got it out. That's all right. But you, you get the idea. Now, again, I've mentioned this before when we talked a few Sundays ago about angels, because he even says here, if you hear a different gospel, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and says, I've got a different gospel, don't believe it. And so I won't take the same time to go over the same details, but Mormonism is a false religion because it defies this passage. The angel Moroni, that name is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, appears to Joseph Smith and gives him a new expansion of the gospel, which is no gospel at all. Mormonism is founded on a false premise of a false gospel. Islam, very similar, because Muhammad in a cave in Hira received inspiration or visions from at first, he said, were jinn, demons, but he was convinced by others that, no, it must be the angel Gabriel who was giving you new revelations. But it was a different gospel. It was no gospel at all. Christian science. It's an oxymoron, by the way. I mean, Christian science is neither. Christian science is like grape nuts. I mean, it's neither. If you've ever opened up a box of grape nuts thinking you're going to get grapes or nuts, you got neither. I don't know why they call it that. Christian science is neither Christian nor is it scientific, but Mary Baker Eddy engaged in seances, tapping into demonic principalities, and became the leader of Christian science. It's not a gospel. It's no gospel at all, because it's not the true gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so we have to be careful about false gospels and different things that add on to the simplicity and the purity of Christ alone. 
And in verse 10, he says, am I not trying to win the approval of men or of God? You know, in other words, I know some of these things I'm saying are not going to be very popular, but <laughs> am I trying to please men? He says, no, he says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is a great verse to remind us about the trap of being a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser. And there's a little bit in all of us that wants to be liked by people. And it is more important that we make sure that what we do and what we say in life pleases God more than we're concerned about how much it might please man. Proverbs 29.25 says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. If you do things or don't do things because you're afraid of what people might think and you violate your commitment to Christ in the process, that will prove to be a snare. Strive always to be a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. And he says in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. I mean, you know, I have this personal revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm not asking people what they think. I know Jesus appeared to me and I'm going to be faithful to the calling on my life. He says in verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Now, the reason why he's saying this is because there were some obvious reasons for people to be skeptical about Paul. I mean, he's going around killing Christians, murdering Christians. And now all of a sudden he's had this epiphany, literally. And now all of a sudden he wants people to embrace him. There's reasons for Christians to be a little bit, ah, I'm not sure we can trust you. You're the guy that's been killing us and now you want to be our friend. I mean, this would be like, can you imagine if like Abu al-Baghdadi comes and says, I just got saved. I received Jesus as my Savior. Can I come speak at Cornerstone? I'd be like, ah, I don't think so. Maybe pass through a metal detector first. I don't know. He's that zealous for the persecution of Christians that Paul in his day prided himself. I am sold out for Judaism and I'm zealous for God. I'm going to kill these Christians because they're polluting the truth of Judaism. And then he has his own experience and then he wants to know why people don't embrace him at first. But listen... He's going to spend some time growing in his faith and being equipped between when Paul has his Damascus Road experience and gets saved until his first sharing of the gospel. It's 10 years. He takes time. Arabia, Damascus, that's going to be his seminary where he's going to prep and prepare, and God's going to do a work in his heart. But originally, some of the original apostles were skeptical about him, and he says, then in verse 21, later I went to Syria and Cilicia, 
I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Yeah, after enough time had passed and Paul had proven himself to be a legitimate convert to Christianity. What a redemptive work God did in Paul's life. And what a redemptive work he is still doing in our lives. We have a sin problem. We live in an evil age. Jesus died on a cross to rescue us. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to close our Bible study by giving you the opportunity to have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for all our sins. Thanks for tuning in today for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hemrick. We pray today's teaching has blessed you and challenged you to draw closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to learn from God's Word together. And we hope you'll tune in again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.